Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, founding dean of Yeshiva Darche Noyam, and the director of Bright Beginnings. Thank you Rabbi Horowitz for oh, being here. Yitzchak, it's such a pleasure to be here. It's an Thank honor, you so much. really a pleasure. I have to start by talking about this book that we have open here, Let's Stay Safe. Yep which you co-published with ArtScroll, and amazingly, really, uh, a tremendous achievement has been distributed worldwide. Yeah. I think the number is over 100,000 copies? Yeah, 100, about 130 between the three, the three 130, versions. 130,000 copies in yeah. different languages, yep. English, Hebrew, Yiddish. Yep. Uh, and the goal of the book, which you undertook, was to spread awareness and to prevent child abuse. Correct. So take right. a moment to talk about the book and... <coughs> how you've heard that it's literally changed lives and prevented abuse, helped abuse victims. Right, Talk so we, we, we're constantly getting feedback from parents. Who, I mean, it's the most gratifying thing in the world when you hear from a parent who says, um, you know, you saved our child's life. Um, the, the first two months into the, into the book, we got a letter from an autistic 11-year-old uh, from Lakewood. And, and he wrote one of the pages there. It says, if you lost in the mall, you should go to your mother. You should go to a woman. So mm -hmm. he went to the cashier, and he waited, and he started talking, you know, and he thanked us. He wrote a three-page letter thanking us. It's, it's, wow. it's incredibly rewarding. Um, and, and, you know, the big idea is that, that the, it gives parents tools to speak to the children. And, and it's interesting because the research shows that when children get nervous and parents get anxious, either or both, it, it inhibits their ability to learn because we get frightened, we can't concentrate mm -hmm. on anything. So specifically, it's important that it be done in a child-friendly way. And you look at all the pictures, there's nothing frightening there. Right. It's, it teaches the children the four basic child safety messages. Your body belongs to you, no secrets from parents, there's good touching and there's bad touching. You have the right to leave someone who's uncomfortable. You see here, you know, someone's talking to their mother mm -hmm. at the end of the day, and this kid is getting out of a situation where, where he's feeling uncomfortable. Right. And we have, and we specifically uh, incorporated it with, re with regular safety things, you know, fire safety and other safety. Um, first of all, because it's important, but it also helps the parents get calm. The child abuse prevention pages are in the middle. Right. So but by the time they get through bicycle safety and stuff, they're, they're more relaxed. And, and people who have read it, both educators and parents comment that it was written with tremendous chachma because you're taking on a very sensitive topic, especially in our world, yep. um, but you have to address it in a very for forthright way. You can't you know, try to hint at it and then kids get, either get the wrong message Absolutely. or don't get the message at right. all. <laughs> so really kudos <coughs> to you, Thank you so much. for doing that. But I would say, and I, I think you would agree, that when you sat with Rabbi Meir's Lotowitz, what was it, 13 years ago? It, yes, I started. <laughs> it's actually funny. I, I think I told Gedalia this, Rev Gedalia, Rev, Rev Gedalia this story. Um, I went to him with a concept without the book. And he thought it's more of an education about, you know, body parts and stuff and all of mm -hmm. that. So, um, so he opened up his drawer and he took out a checkbook and he said, Yankee, uh, I want to be your first donor. He knew I didn't come for money. Uh -huh. <laughs> so said, it was the politest rejection I ever got. Uh -huh. And then I explained to him what I'm doing and I said, look, Rav Meir, I'm going to come back with the book and then we'll talk. 
And to his eternal credit, he took it. It was extraordinarily risky for so him. That's what I wanted to say. It was groundbreaking. Extraordinarily risky for him to do mm -hmm. that, especially since he, that's not what he, this isn't what he does. Um, but Romero was a visionary. Yes, he was a visionary. And just like he saw other things before others right. did, apparently on this topic, he also saw right. kind of before others did what was coming and what was needed. Right, and he got it. You know, he mm -hmm. asked me, like, how does this work? So I started explaining to him how child abuse, how, how could this book really help kids? Right. And it's interesting that it's really fascinating because the abusers go through a grooming process. In other words, they walk into a room full of children and um, they start looking around, God forbid, who it's safe to abuse. Mm -hmm. The most and vulnerable. The most vulnerable children. And they look for two things, basically. Um, naivete, being naive about their own bodies and all of that, and, and uh, of lack, isolation. Mm -hmm. The same thing as a scammer does. If somebody's mm -hmm. scamming financially, they look for someone who doesn't know anything about easy finances. Targets. Easy targets. But also, they don't know who that person knows. Mm -hmm. So that person's uh, sister might be a DA or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So they look for isolation. So they, they, they go through a process where, where they do, where they go, where they go through different brilliant evil cunning ways to figure this out because the bottom line is they can tell right away if someone was spoken to so even if they touch them on the shoulder usually a child who was spoken to will look because that's not that's not in the ordinary a stranger shouldn't come over and touch you so mm -hmm. that look or something like that frightens them off they're afraid of children they literally are afraid of children who are educated because wow. why would they start that's what the grooming process so you is see all how, about. how far the education goes that even small things what we would almost call nuances right. could really end up protecting a child in a very significant way absolutely the research shows that dr david pelkowitz and dr dr bensian twersky every picture every image every sentence they looked over um, and I'm so deeply grateful to them still. Um, Dr. Pelkowitz told me that uh, if there are two children, everything's identical. One child has his, own, his or her own drawer at home and the other doesn't. The one with the drawer is four times more likely to defend themselves if somebody starts up with them. Wow. And that's just based on research. And, and the, the reason is? They know things belong to them. Uh -huh. They know things belong to them. So there are boundaries. They know there are boundaries, they know things that other body people... body belongs to me, right? right that's, right. that's one of the four messages. My body belongs to me. In the, in the book, we have a picture of a child with a ball standing right. next to his bed. So once, th that's why parents should know that this is the beginning of a conversation. Mm -hmm. we, this is a big idea. It's something that should be ongoing, but you can, it's easy for parents to to follow up on, on these lessons with simple ways. Mm -hmm. One example I give parents, I used to do this in yeshiva, I was the principal of yeshiva for 20 years. If two kids would fight in the playground, rather than only talking to them about what they were doing, I used to go like this. Instead of saying, why are you fighting with them, why are you in somebody's space? Mm -hmm. So pa parents can do the same thing. You know, Miriam, you're, you're in Yitzhi's space right now. You know, back off a little bit. So it, it, it teaches them that they have their space. So therefore, they respond when something is different. And children at a very young age would respond if something is different. If you invited me to your house and I just leaned back, took off my shoes and put my feet, bare feet on the table, how old would the children have to be to start laughing? Right. Right? Why? Because no, they've never seen this. Mm -hmm. So that's the tap on the shelf. Someone lays a hand on somebody's shoulder 
and it hasn't, they, they, they look. Right. So that's, that's the big idea. Of course, it's not foolproof. You know, there's a lot parents need to do, supervision, other things, but that's the big idea, and it's You mentioned the letter that you got before. Any other stories that come to mind of where the book literally uh, tra transformed someone's life in terms of education or I, I, other types of Thousands of, of times, no joke, thousands oh. of times. Um, in, in, one, in one situation, a DA wrote in the indictment when they arrested a pedophile in a, in a, in a religious institution. In the indictment, it said that the children came forward after reading the Let's Stay Safe book. Really? And, and that's what we're doing wow. now is we're offering the book, at, you know, in bulk, more than 100 copies or more for $5 with free shipping. That's, that's what we're doing now. It was an outgrowth. I once, I raised money. I raised money to give out 1,800 books the first time of Sarah Convention after, um, after, the, after the book was released. And um, we gave them out to schools to put in preschools. And, 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 and the DA situation was with one of the schools. Wow. So, you know. So it's we, mentioned in an indictment. In the indictment. That, that says the, the child children came, came forth, forth because they read this after book. After the reading the Let's Stay Safe wow. book. I gave, a workshop to, I gave a workshop in a Hasidic community uh, on Shabbos, on Shabbos, and by Shalashudas, the father came to me already. He had, it was Shabbos afternoon by the meal, and by Shalashudas, one, one of the kids came forward. He read, he, the book was around the house, and he says, I'm a, somebody chep at me, somebody started up wow. with me. It's wow. extraordinarily see, helpful. Really unbelievable. Yeah. Now, I know that you've worked, you've worked with children now for 30 years. You've dealt with the whole at-risk phenomenon. I'm sure many people wonder about this, but you deal with abuse as well. What percentage of children who Nebuch have left the path, and many do come back, Baruch Hashem, perhaps most, what percentage <coughs> of them do so because of abuse? So, uh, thank you for asking the question. Um, the, the, it's an important question. The way I see it, um, this is not research-based. You know, this is just Yankee. Mm -hmm. so no, it's important to distinguish. This isn't a research thing. Right. This is my own opinion. Uh, but I felt this way for, for... Your opinion based on your experience. Based on anecdotal, right. Anecdotal right, evidence, right. Yeah. right. So what, what I encourage people to do is to take child, uh, excuse me, children abandoning religion and instead of lumping them in one group to make two different buckets. One is Ozvimit Adat, they leave religion only. Mm -hmm. And the other is Gashav Chmanul Etzlan Ozvimit Achayim, they're leaving life. Mm -hmm. That's my own, this is my own take on it, because when, when I hear parents talking to me, in my mind, I think, what, which one of this is it? And uh, abandoning religion means that the child has a social life, they're in school, they're happy, they're forward-looking, they enjoy their lives. Hashem, God isn't part of it, their life right now. And there's so many different reasons they weren't, maybe weren't turned on, they were turned off, they're, they're not inclined to place... Are they, are they, are they really happy, though? Because the <coughs> perception is that those children are not really happy. They're just searching, they're covering it's, it's, up. Look, look, leaving, leaving one's home is a big deal, and doing things different than their family is a big deal. Right. Especially they understand, you know, what the cost is and what it's going to look like. So... I wouldn't say that all of them are unhappy. They're, they're certainly unhappy when they're leaving, the, leaving our family. And that's why we encourage parents to do whatever they can to keep them home. But back to the other bucket, azumat mm -hmm. leaving, you know, abandoning life means they're not in school. They're, they're 
Um, they're feeling terrible about themselves. They, they, they don't have a social life or they're hanging out with other children who, who've been, who are in that situation. I said 13 years ago that, that over 90% of those were abused. It, so it's, almost, the, it's almost 100%. That category of Ozvim et HaChayim. Yeah, they abandon life. You, they're abandoning life, meaning that they're a suicidal risk? Also. also all, all they're broken. Them? They're broken. They're broken souls. They, it, it, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's also another guide that I've had that is research-based. Um, Maslow has a brilliant theory. I encourage all parents to, to study it, really study it. He says that there are five sets of human needs. The lowest is physical, then comes safety, then comes friendship, love, relationships, self-esteem, and self-actualization, to steig, to grow, to be all you could be. So if someone's car breaks down in a bad neighborhood, they got 3% on their battery, it's nighttime, and they're really frightened, all those next three things don't even exist for them. So if a friend calls up, Right? Or if a family member says, hey, mazel tov, my daughter got engaged. Like, it's not that they don't want to. They cannot. Mm -hmm. It's so, Maslow's theory, I have some questions on it, but it's a brilliant theory, and it's so, it's, it's almost immutable. It, it, it's, you can, so, so, again, when you're feeling like that, there's nothing else. So self-actualization to learn. That's why I tell people the first thing you have to do, if you have a child that, that, that's, that's abandoned life, they have, you have to get them whole you know, to ask them to learn to daven and if they're broken they're broken mm -hmm. they, so if they're not feeling safe how can they possibly concentrate it doesn't mean literally they can't do anything but it's so much more difficult mm -hmm. in fact some research shows that that it's often it's often confused because the very often abuse survivors especially children have symptoms of ADD where they can't concentrate mm -hmm. and because that lack of stability and safety. So right. parents overall, I think the most important job of parents is to give the children those two levels. Those to provide them with security and see that they have, that the home is relaxed and happy and, and you know, all homes have stress, but you know, as stress free as, free as possible. And their physical needs, then you can build on that. So that's why you see them, when you see children that just, can't go on, there was some sort of trauma. Mm. Now, that segues very well. You're talking about ADHD, ADD. There are kids who struggle tremendously in our school system, which is very, very much academic-based. Um, I've heard in the name of a prominent psychologist that 20% do phenomenally well in our system, 20% maybe fall out to the bottom 20% and the other 60% in the middle are chugging along, not necessarily comfortable, some more, some less, some years, depending on the Rebbe or teacher, depending maybe mm -hmm. on the Limud and so on and so forth. There are so many variables. I don't want to uh, paint with a broad brush stroke, but you're, we were talking about child abuse. That's physical abuse, right. people violating their space. Talk from your experience about the kids who suffer from the system abuse of just, you know, if you don't learn well in our system, right. you're an outcast very quickly. And it doesn't take very long for a kid to have that feeling, and I've, you know, that I'm a loser. I've devoted 30 because years. Because I don't learn Gemara well. Right. I don't learn Chumash right. well. And by the time the child is in seventh and eighth grade, right. whether they're a boy or a girl, right. they got the message that, you know what, we, we don't really have right. room for you. So I'm actually in the middle of doing, I started doing daily parenting clips 
um, June 1st of last year. We're, we're just almost at 300 clips already. And I do a different topic every week. It's on, it's on Instagram at Bright Beginnings Forum. You can get it on WhatsApp, 845-540-2414. Um, Send a message. Subscribe. comes right back. Um, I, have, I have other... It's on Vimeo, so people who, don't, who want filter, have filtered internet can get that also. Mm -hmm. uh, but over the last five weeks, I've been doing... Since Pesach, I've been doing class specifically on this, helping parents figure things out. And I did a week on personality profiles and a second week on, on learning profiles, how people learn differently. And, and, ha and then it's called, I have a thing called, called the answer key, giving parents the tools to try to figure it out. The, if a child has a short attention span, learning Gemara all day is, is I wouldn't say impossible, but it's, it's very difficult. You know, I like to think of it, in my yeshiva, we, in my yeshiva we, we had HIPAA rules. I was very strict not to discuss Talmidim in the hallway. So we, we had a, a code among ourselves, for, uh, 40, uh, 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 40, 40 regular. You know, you get a suit. So some people are 40 regular. That's the 20% you're talking about. Right. They're perfect fit. They go into the store. They take, hey, give me the sleeves, cuffs, see you later. Okay. Some people have alterations. They need mm -hmm. alterations. Mm -hmm. You know, that one foot is longer than the other or right. whatever it is. And then this custom, mm -hmm. you know, that they just don't fit. That, that right. they, the regular suit that they make uh, on the assembly line is not going to work for them. They need a custom. That's really what, that's the reality, that some children are, are 40 regulars and they just mm -hmm. go and this is perfect for them and they love it. And, and then you have kids who need alterations, which means modify their schedule, teach them more visually, do other things like that. And then, unfortunately, you have children that, honestly, 150 years ago, they would have been working on a farm and would have been uh -huh. religious people and very right. happy. Uh, so the expectation, thank God, Baruch Hashem, the expectation is that all our children go to school. So I recently heard from Rabbi Daniel Kalish, the yeah, wonderful yeah, Mechanic sure, from sure, Waterbury, sure, sure who somehow has an eye in Taiva to see the good in everyone. Yep. And he was highlighting the need to take every child and focus on what they do well. Yes, some children won't be doing well academically, yep. but they may be good at public speaking. They may be artistic. They right. may be good at music. Now, our mainstream yeshiva system does not have the wherewithal, or at least not as it's presently constituted, to really do that. But My question is, are we putting all our children into one system knowing that we're deliberately going to be having a significant percentage of children who just will fall out? Can I, can I be brutally honest? Yeah, that, that's what we're here for. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it honestly has to do with parents. I'm not, suggest, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting that our system is, is not without uh, flaws, but many times parents try to get their children into a school that's not right for them. And the principal comes back and says, your son's not going to make it here. And, and we understand every parent wants the best school for their child, mm -hmm. but it's not the right size shoe. So, so they try Protectia or any other way to get into the school, and then it fails. Mm. Um, I, I actually asked at a Mayetzis Gedalia meeting, um, right a year or two after I wrote the first article, that was 1996, so it was, it was an article in the Jewish in Observer, the Jewish right? Observer right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what changed my life, yeah. right. an ounce of prevention it was called. Um, so I spoke to the Rashiva. I said, maybe the Rashiva could emphasize uh, to, to, to parents that if they have a child that's not, 
that's not right for a, a, a top yeshiva or even an average yeshiva. They shouldn't try to put them in. He turned to me and says, Rabbi Yaakov, we tell them they don't listen to us. Mm-hmm. I, I kid you not. He said, that's what he said in frustration. He says, we tell them that they're all nodding their heads. Right. They were all nodding their heads. So I published actually beginner Chumash and beginner Gemara workbooks. And if your children aren't making it, I, I mean, we have Baruch Hashem and over 100 yeshivas already. But it really teaches children skills, how to learn Chumash, how to break down the, shara, the root words, the prefix, suffix. I just mentioned to you, you know, 270, uh, 270 Shara root words is 93% of Chumash. And we have a, a Gemara program really designed to break it down, to give the children visual aids. Here's, a, here's an exercise I would tell parents to do. You get, a, you get a new phone, you get a new appliance. How do the children, or you, or if you married your wife, how do you best get that information? So some people just read the manual, and they just say, shh, quiet, guys, I, I'm concentrating. And other people will tell, the same thing in, in the base Madrash, when the Gemara is hard. Mm-hmm. If you look, some people will just close this. They tell the Chavrus, their study partner, just quiet, please, just give me one second. And, and they, they, they're textual learners. They learn best through text. Some people are auditory learners. They, they say, you know, Jimmy, could you say that again to me? Or they'll ask someone to tell them how to do the. But 65% of people are visual learners. Mm-hmm. So by making charts and graphs, our, our books are full of them. Um, but, I mean, any parent can do that. We hope that more and more Rebbeim, the Rebbeim today are, are getting so much tr- more training than I sure. did 40 years ago when I started. But, but um, if, the, if the school isn't providing it, I encourage parents to learn about it. I'm doing uh, follow-up my daily clips. They, we're talking about this specif- specifically because you can provide that at home. You can give the children examples that are from today's environment. Look, the, the Gemara talks about things that happened 2,000 years ago. If I told, if I did one of my clips today and I said, you know, I took this 8-track recorder and I listened to a, you know, you, you talk about something 40 years ago, the kids look at you like you're... Right, right like you're out of touch. Right, you're out of touch. So there, there, there's so much that parents I think you brought up do. a good point. There's no question that in our community people are very cognizant of their reputation. The schools their children go to, they're worried about Shaduchim. There's no question that there is a very, very strong prevailing attitude that, that falls into that category. But I, I've heard from big professionals today that more than ever, parents are very open-minded today, more than they've been before about where their children, where their children belong. I think many years ago, people were, were more narrow-minded. Today, people are opening up. They're, they're becoming more confident in themselves, right. not worrying as much what their neighbor is going to say, but to focus more on what the child needs. But it's not that long ago, and we were schmoozing about this before our interview, it's not that long ago that for the boys, really the only place that catered to a boy you didn't fit into a system was Adelphia, Rav David Trenks, that's and, and all. And that's it. And that was it. That was it. And for the girls, nothing. Even right. nowadays, there's, there's not <laughs> enough for the girls. Correct. And I've spoken to people, and they lamented to me. They said, there's right. really not enough for girls who don't fit in the system. Right. right. So there seems to be, again, not to you know, beat a dead horse, but there seems to be a greater need to cater to the children. And as our community gets bigger, the need is only going to get bigger. And as the world out there gets more complicated, complicated, so we're uh, we're fighting a war on so many different ends. The children will find 
And children will find what's more enticing, what's more exciting. Right, exactly. Suddenly the Gemara is not as exciting right. as whatever device they might have right. been exposed to. And, right. and, and the job the Mechanchem have and the parents have, are, it's just getting harder and harder. I know you were talking before that you yourself committed, and I, I, I give you such credit for it because it takes a certain amount of self-awareness to do that. But you told me that you did like market research to learn about social media and its different facets. Talk about that. Yeah, so I just, I, I've been, I've had the great privilege of working in parent coaching, mentoring, whatever, you, however you call it. Uh, I did my first parenting classes in 1997 uh, in Rabbi Reisman's school. They made 10 cassette tapes. We sold 100,000 copies. Um, so, you know, I'm very gratified that, that I was able to do that, but Every year I, I try for at least a day, a day or two, that I turn my phone off and have a day of reflection for myself. I'm 62 years old, Baruch Hashem. So, you know, you say, before I hang up my sneakers, what would I like to do and what's, my, what's the best use of my time? And I, I, it's personally, it, it's very helpful to me to, to, to go through this process. It's not always pleasant, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I think it's an, important, it's an important thing to do. And one of the things that jumped out at me the last four or five years is that I felt myself increasingly out of touch with today's younger parents, the Generation Z parents. I, I don't understand them. I mean, I understand I can talk to them. Right. But you go on social media and you watch the interaction on Instagram or, or it's so different than Facebook. Um, and the, the, the kids today, anyone under 35, then, then, Facebook, forget it. Um, and they're leaving Instagram for TikTok now. Mm-hmm. But the, the culture is much shorter retention spans. Um, there are more differences that it's beyond the scope of the conversation. But The power of influencers the is, is power tremendous, of influencers right? Is tremendous, tremendous. Because, because of the enormous amount of disinformation in all, every facet of life, People get skeptical, and the, the, the Gen Z kids are, are extraordinarily skeptical of anything that they, they see over the Internet because mm. they know that so much of it is not. So what, what, are, what practical advice do you have, parents who are watching our conversation, who are listening to you, and they're suddenly feeling out of touch, and they want to be able to connect to their children, but really more than anything else, understand what their right. children's challenges right. Are, what, what should they that's know? A, that's a fantastic question. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you raised it. Study it. Study, learn. You know, it, it, ask your children. Ask your children instead of, you know, when parents, back in the days when texting, you know, was, was the only thing that parents were worried about, you know, I would tell parents that if you, if you, if you forward all the WhatsApp, those corny messages that people send you. I remember when online meant you were on a line in a bank. Ha, ha, ha. And, you know, everybody's Baruch Hashem, grandmothers are sending it around to each other. And then the parents send it to the kids and say, especially if it's something internet related, and they say, ha, 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 you saw it. Like you're hanging up a sign on your forehead. I don't understand you. I don't know your life. I don't know anything about you. Don't talk to me because uh-huh. I'm clueless. So, so when you say like texting, schmexting, nobody talks anymore. People said that about phones probably also, but whatever, it is what it is. Mm. So, so of course parents should supervise technology use. Um, I have a whole talk on that, um, uh, but, but it's so important to know what's going on. I have a whole class that I give called, would your kids tell you? Meaning would your children tell you if they're getting in trouble? And 
I, I just released a video on in relation to child safety. Child safety is an extremely uncomfortable conversation. One of the things that the abusers rely on is that the children will be uncomfortable talking about to, what happened. To their parents. To themselves, to oh, the parents, to anybody, to right. The, to anyone. To anyone, who would talk well, about it? Specifically to their parents. Specifically to how their do, parents. How does a parent practically create that open relationship with their child so, so that the child will divulge if someone ever violates right, them? Right, so, so that's a real process. I go through it, I, mm -hmm. I have a whole class. My, my, um, my, um, I have a YouTube channel, it's at Yaakov Horowitz. I did a series of, of seven classes called Mentor or Supervisor, asking parents, do you want to mentor your children or do you want to supervise them? That was the whole theme. Mm. But I did a talk on technology use and I did a talk specifically on would your child tell you and actually brought our married daughter, our youngest, she's 26, um, she actually is the therapist. I brought her on for Q&A so parents could ask her questions about what it's like growing up in a place where you can talk to your parents. Really? Mm -hmm. uh, well, she, she was great. Well, what did she, if you could share here, what was, what was the crux Tachos, of what she said? No, she spoke about being able to talk to us uh -huh. and that we told her when we were disappointed and we told her, but we always told her that we want to know what's going on. We, we, we want you to be comfortable talking to us about anything. Every child should have that privilege. And we're going to be disappointed if you do things wrong. Of course we will. I mean, you can't lie to children. You can't say I won't be disappointed. You can't stop that but we'll be much more upset if you don't feel comfortable talking to us. And we actually made a rule with her that she could tell one of us and not the other. That we, we, we told her, you know, Mommy and I don't keep secrets from each other, but if mm -hmm. you want to tell one of us and you're not comfortable, the other one should know, ask us to keep confidentiality, and we will, and we did. Until today. Wow. So, I mean, there's a number of barriers that it, it, it's, it's logical, right. you know. I know these are very, very heavy topics, and probably every question I've asked you today should, would require its own session. But to segue from the technology question about being educated about what our children are being faced with, kind of connected to that, what have you found over 30 years is the key to creating a meaningful connection between children and Yiddishkeit, between children and Hashem, that they should want to connect, that they should want to grow, that despite everything going on around them, which may be telling them otherwise, they say, you know what, this is, this is going to bring me meaning. Have, have happy homes. Have happy homes. Um, meaning just a place where children like to be, will like to be in. Um, again, every house has stress, of course. Um, but that the overall tenor should be happy, be flexible, don't, don't. These are the few things, and, and, and if a child has a problem, look at it like it's, it's a family problem, not their problem. When, when I listen to people, I, can, I started saying this five years ago. It sounds a little weird. I'm telling you, I can usually tell within the first three to five minutes if the kid's going to make it. Really? I kid you not. Based on How the parents talk about it. Uh-huh. The parents that come in and they say, look, we're having an issue with our daughter, and, and we, we, we're having an issue with our daughter, we'll do whatever it takes, do you have any ideas? And, and they're exploring, and they're eager to learn, and, and they just feel like they're doing, the, the daughter feels, the child feels like they're doing it together. Why do people like the football coaches? 
The co- if Rabbeim talk to my football coaches, then they'll get fired. It's, it's all about the team. No, no. I'm saying they yell at the kids, why did you drop oh. the ball? That's what I meant. Oh, no, no. Right. Why did you drop the ball when you did this? They don't say, um, imagine your foot. I don't mean all coaches. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course. But, you know, if a kid drops a pass, oh, that was a beautiful try. Let's <laughs> see. Next, you know. but you the, they don't mince words. The kids love their coaches. Uh-huh. Why? This, my, this is my own take. Because he's next to you. When you celebrate, you all celebrate together. Uh-huh. And, and when you, you suffer a defeat, he's throwing his stuff around just like you are. You think so they could take so it when from parents, someone like that? when parents look at it and they say, look, sweetheart, we're going to meet someone tonight. Um, we're going to talk it over. And whatever it takes, we love you. We'll always love you. And I've had parents, it's so sad. It's so sad. I'm going to stop crying. I've had people come in and thankfully a lower and lower percentage but they walk in and say things like, my first two kids are so wonderful, and this one, when she's home and he's home, the whole Shabbos table, everything is wrong, and, and when he's away, it's the whole, you know, and they just project all the blame, and, and I say to myself, Nebuch, this poor child, and a long time ago, I'm an, I'm an honest guy, I do this as a chesed, and I never took a penny all the years for, for guiding parents, so I don't belong to an agency. I, I can do what I want. I tell them, are you willing to change your attitude? Um, are you willing to say that this is our problem? We're going to do and if they say, no, what, it's his problem, I say, I'm giving you a referral, Maslam Bracha. Mm-hmm. You won't even work with them. No, I'm wasting my time. Mm. I don't have enough time as it is. I, I tell them, I tell them, just like this, if you want to change, sit back down. Oh, God, it's okay. I, and I say it nicely. I don't say it rudely. I say right. it nicely. Look, I love you guys. I want to help you. But this is not going to work. It will not work. I guarantee you. It's not going to work. Please, turn around. I said, come back in a week if you want to. You're welcome to come back. But sit down and tell us that we're having an issue with our, in our family and we want to do this together. Rabbi Horowitz, thank you so much. A pleasure. A pleasure. For what you've done for Chinech and Chinech For what you've done to protect children through this book which is really, again, it's revolutionary, what it's done and it continues to do. And amazingly, despite the passage of time, it still has that universal language yeah. that speaks to children and parents. Thank you. So thank you for that as thank well. Thank you very and much. Finally, and par- I'm sorry, can I, can I yeah, just yeah, give that? Yeah, yeah, of course, go ahead. So, so again, we're, we're just starting right now, we're, uh, Rabbi Zlatowicz and I, uh, Art Scroll and Bright Beginnings, we're doing a partnership and we're offering the book for, for $5.00. Um, for $5 a book for more than 100 copies. And the idea is we want to seed all communities in North America with books that philanthropists or regular folks, 100 books is $500. It's two sessions at a therapist. Um, So do what you can to get the book to your friends. We even offer free shipping. Childsafetybook.org, childsafetybook.org. I, I cannot tell you how helpful this is and how heartbreaking it is when we have children come to us that we feel, you know, simple child safety education could help. So please, uh, Rabbi Zlatowicz and I, we're, we're doing this because we believe in the book and we believe that, that every single home should have one. I have a, a videotape from Rebetzin Kolodetsky, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's daughter, Zafran mm-hmm. Zetzal's daughter. Um, she said, I, I should, I'll send you the video. You should put that one it's like she says in the Hebrew book, she says, Kol Yehudi, every single Jewish home should, must have this. And she told the yeah. story of her, I gave them books. Rabbi Chaim wrote us a letter and she wrote us a letter when we published the Hebrew book. 
I gave them a stack of books. She said on the video that my daughter was, in, my granddaughter was in the hallway, and her mother read her the book, and she was saved. Really? It's on, it's on, it's wow. on, it's on my YouTube page. She said wow. it fairish, and she so, you know, get the book, educate your children. You don't have to get the book. It's all right, uh, you know, educate your children, please. Um, it's so helpful, and and when you see, when I see, when people, when those of us in the field see. What it looks like on the other side when the children get abused, it's just, it's so, it's so rewarding to know that, that you're stopping, you can stop this with just a few dollars and a little bit of time. Please, please get involved. Every single home should have the book. Rabbi Horowitz, Chazak Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a here. A real pleasure. Be well.